brother of Mary and Martha, who we meet in John's Gospel. Here, he's a character, but an important one. Jesus tells the story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Father Abraham and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner received evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. So the man said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, he said to him. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. That is the word of the Lord. So that's a graphic story in and of itself. Uh, When you have a chance to look at the Greek in which it's written, there are a couple of details that add to its impact on its original audience. Uh, Right off the bat, when Jesus describes what the man, the rich man wears, the the purple linens and the the fine claws, the specific word, the, the word for purple actually has as its root the name of the small snails from which the purple dye was extracted. And so upon hearing it, there's a chance that the, the people sitting there would, would think, wow, how many people did it take to capture enough snails uh, to dye all those robes in purple? And then the, the word for the linen that he also wears is a real specific word for a linen that came only from India. Think of how far that came in that world. And interestingly, would have color-coordinated woohoo, with the purple, truly. It, it, it would have done that. And and finally, the Greek verb tense is such that um, it's clear that this is not like an occasional celebration. This is this guy's daily reality, um, to be dressed that nice and to eat that well day after day. It's Jesus' way of conveying to the audience that literally he's filthy rich. Meanwhile, the, the poor man Lazarus is described with sores and wishing for crumbs that maybe he doesn't even get and dogs that lick his wounds. Really, almost none of that would have struck the audience as much as the first description of him, which is he lay at the gate to the rich man's house, and the verb there is a nautical term meaning to be tossed up as if on waves. And it's specific for the floatsome and jetsam of the ocean. In other words, perhaps as far as the rich man is concerned, Here's just some more garbage that's been tossed up on his doorstep. And having got his audience attention like that, then Jesus tells the story, which in many respects needs no 
retelling by me. But I think anytime you hear this one, there are two things that no audience should miss. The first thing you should never miss is that, is that the, the rich man has no name. And Jesus, I would presume, omits it on purpose either because he wants us as an audience to recognize that if you have almost anything in life, it can possess you and take control of you and create a coldness of heart that distances you from your fellow human beings. Or perhaps the reason there's no name is it's, it's a way of Jesus saying that this man already has become so self-possessed in his materialism that he has lost the most basic thing that represents his humanity, which is his own name. Or perhaps Jesus is saying both of those things to us. And the other thing you should never fail to, to notice when you hear this story is how it ends. I mean, this is being told by Jesus. He's going to die and rise again. And yet, Father Abraham in the story ends it by saying what? They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't listen even if someone should die and rise from the dead. Which is, I, I think Jesus is realistic and kind of sad, really, way of ending and saying, um, so often in life, people get to a point where their, their, their stuff uh, inside or exterior to them becomes so important to them that I have no way of breaking through to them. You can die and rise from the dead, but they are not going to listen. As a brief aside, in the Bible, the wilderness is something people rarely choose. They are driven into the wilderness. They flee into the wilderness. They stumble into the wilderness. They're stripped of normalcy and control and perhaps um, self-aggrandizement. People finally are able to hear what God is trying to say to them. Ultimately, the wilderness is a blessed place to be in the Bible. New thought. So I recently spent two weeks in the swimming pool wilderness. That's because I'm a, I swim three or four times a week at the 124th Street Y. And every summer, at the end of the summer, they shut it down for a week so they can do maintenance. This year, they shut it down for two weeks. How dare they? Uh, I can't go two weeks without swimming, so I had to take them up on the advice of you should go to one of the nearby other Waukesha Ys and swim there. So the two most close to where we live are either the Falls Y or the downtown Waukesha Y. So Monday of the first week it shut down, I decide, well, I'm going to check out the Falls Y. And so the first thing I do is like make a wrong turn, and what should have been a 20-minute drive becomes a 30-minute drive. But I get there, and it's a nice Y, really nice locker rooms. Uh, walk out into the pool area. The guard is really nice, better than they usually are at the 124th Street Y, just saying. And uh, it's a 25-meter pool instead of a 25-yard pool. All oh, It's like, wow, this is going to be really cool. Then I get in the water. It's 86 degrees. I was exhausted when I got done swimming. It was so warm. 
I so missed the 78 degree water at the 124th Street Y. And I asked the guard, is it always 86 degrees? Well, no, we had this like special aerobics class. Usually it's 82 and it's like, whoa, 82. So I'll try the downtown Waukesha Y. So I migrate there like two days later and walk in the door and the first thing they say is, well, did you bring a lock? And it's like, bring a lock? Who still has to bring a lock to the Y? So they guard my valuables and you know, it's kind of this labyrinth making your way and uh, an older facility, but the swimming pool's fine and it's only like 81 or 82 degrees, so at least I'm not dying. And so for the next two weeks, I kind of migrate back and forth between the two of them and at least the falls Y eventually dropped to 82 degrees. Uh, so I didn't have to take a cold shower when I got out of the pool. And the, 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 the result of my two-week sojourn was that I, I met some nice people, um, uh, enjoyed swimming in those places, and I was really glad to be able to go back to 124th when it opened. However, I now know that if I'm making a hospital visit up at the falls, I might as well swim there. The pool's two minutes away. And next time I'm in downtown Waukesha, I might as well swim there rather than driving all the way to 124th because uh, that's a fine facility as well. And now that actually does get us back to today's parable. I don't know what else to say other than I, I think it's probably just ironic um, that frequently when we're doing ministries with our partners in a poorer location uh, like the city of Milwaukee or El Salvador, people will often ask, well, is it safe? And, and I understand why they ask. Um, but based on, on today's parable and so many of them that Jesus stacks up one after another in Luke's gospel, not to mention the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he would absolutely and clearly say to us that, that we live in an extraordinarily dangerous place right here. Elm Grove, Brookfield, Pewaukee, Heartland, because we are so affluent in these places, maybe not you personally, but we collectively are so affluent that that is a profound danger to our souls. And that is hard for us to wrap our heads around because the culture around us assumes, as most cultures have through history, that, that prosperity and wealth and riches equal influence and power and wisdom and, and smarts. And, and Jesus would so beg to differ with that, so extraordinarily beg to differ with it, and would say, you do not recognize how much danger you're in. One of the things I, I, I love about this congregation is that um, I, I think so many of you try really hard to swim up against that stream. Um, you try and share uh, through our benevolent ministries. You try and be at partners in all sorts of places around this area and beyond. Uh, but it's hard and, and honestly, collectively, not enough. But how, 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 do you, how do you change? How do, you, how do any of us deal with the fact that Lazarus, for the most part, is not washing up on our doorstep at Cross of Life or at most of our homes? But we know he's out there. People of extraordinary need. While living in the midst of a culture that has a tendency at this point to say of those in need that they should figure it out or it's their own fault. And even if that's objectively true, it's, it's, if we're the ones saying it, it reflects the coldness of our hearts in a way that Jesus never spoke. Humble servant that he was and longs for us to be. So, honestly, what we face is the, 
is the extraordinarily difficult task of doing what people never want to do. Nobody wants to go in the wilderness. Everybody wants to stay at the 124th Street. Why? Because you're used to it. <laughs> you know what's coming, even if the guards aren't friendly. What the heck? Once you're in the pool, it doesn't matter. And so we'd stay where we are forever. You have to choose to go into wilderness. And that's, that needs to be our choice. One of the things that we'll do in about six weeks is that we'll, we'll set up a little system that will make it as easy as possible for you to just hang out at one of our partners once. Starting with Christ the King. I mean, the most obvious one to which I think most of us still haven't gone. And that's okay, but we should get started. Uh, you should worship there once or twice. Meet the people. See what it's like. Uh, or at 40th and Florist with all peoples, used to be Florist Avenue Lutheran Church, or at 16th and Walnut Cross Lutheran Church. Um, but, but we know that's hard to do, and so we'll put directions up so you don't take a wrong turn like I did, and uh, people that you can look for in that place, and uh, a way to carpool so you wouldn't have to do it by yourself. And we're going to close Cross of Life for two weeks. Just wanted to see how you'd react to that. <laughs> With alarm or just so annoyed, Pastor John. No, Cross of Life will remain open. Because you can't, I mean, you can't force the stuff. Uh, you have to want to choose it. But I challenge you to choose it. I, I do. Um, go a little bit into the wilderness. And when you do, I mean, even if it's just Christ the King, you'll meet some different people. And some of them will be really friendly, and they'll do things a little bit differently there, and it'll catch your attention, and it might be really cool, and you'll want to bring it back here. Or you'll come back here and say, I really appreciate something about this place that I hadn't really noticed before until I was absent from it. But, but that'll be a spiritual blessing as well. Uh, all the more so if you go to one of our city partners. Pray about it. Don't leave church today without thinking through what Jesus needs you to hear from today's parable. Do not let your heart grow cold. Do not stay in your safe zone. Go out so you can meet Lazarus where he lives. Okay? The thing that's always reassuring to me is that Jesus doesn't ultimately leave anybody behind, rich or poor, any other category you want to come up with. And the awesome, powerful thing is that, that actually you go out there and, and you find these brothers and sisters who um, are awesome. And collectively what we do is we're capable of, for ourselves or each other, or for someone beyond our midst, of dipping our fingers into some cold water and placing them on parched tongues that long for good news. The chasms of our world, they can be crossed. They can be crossed. And every time your tongue is touched, it is a reminder of a Savior who embodies the best good news of all, which is that Jesus, wow, he loves us all.